we're going to read the last chapter. In fact, we'll read the whole thing, last chapter of Galatians. Uh, in fact, we'll pick up at Galatians 5, verse 25. So we'll read like the last two verses and then the 18 verses in chapter 6. But before we do, uh, I just want to summarize a little bit about... Um, kind of what we've seen in Galatians so far, if this is like how we're going to land it. I mean, I brought all my commentaries that I had at home, I brought them all in with me today and put them back in my office because we're done with Galatians after this. It's always kind of like, a, wow, we're transitioning out of Galatians. So what have we seen? And what I, and really not even just what have we seen, but how do we want to land it? What do we want to make sure we're thinking about. When we think Galatians, is there a phrase that maybe it would be helpful to have come to our minds? What I've decided to do is um, put up a couple of the words that I have always heard in regards to Galatians. That, Like many of you, I've grown up going to churches, and I've heard a lot of sermons and lessons on Galatians, and there's certain words that constantly get um, repeated when I hear people talk about Galatians. And it's helpful. But what's also helpful is whenever I get a chance to teach it, um, I learn new things. That I just have my nose stuck in every word as we go over it week after week, and new words pop out. And I often ask myself, why haven't we talked about this word more in regards to Galatians? And the answer is, you know, I don't know. There's probably just so many great themes we throughout Scripture, you can't get them all. So I'm going to put up word usage and say, hey, that one on the top, faith. That is normally the word that I hear when I hear Galatians being talked about. And for good reason, that Faith is used over, four, over 25 times uh, that I could count, either the noun or the verb. It's more like faith and faithing. You know, the, the word they use in Greek, it's, uh, think kind of like belief and believing, right? How there's believe is the noun and uh, is the verb and belief is the noun. Well, they have something like that in Greek. And, you know, between pistis and pistuo. But they, um, it's in there a lot. However, it's almost used exclusively in the first three chapters. It doesn't show up at all in chapter 4. It's peppered in there a little bit more in chapter 5 and then just, I think, once, maybe a couple times in chapter 6. That this word is being used a ton at the beginning of Galatians. And normally what it's being used in response to is kind of in contrast to the law. That is probably the most used word in Galatians, the law. And if you add in circumcision with that word, you've got it. Because when he's saying circumcision, he's, Paul's thinking law, law, circumcision, law, circumcision. Law is the one he uses the most. And what he does in the beginning of Galatians is he puts up faith against doing the law. Right? That if we could sum up hmm, the first two chapters of Galatians, 
right? We, we really never got very far from what we said that first week. That what Paul had to say is, the message, the gospel that I have for you, it's not from man. It is from God. And it's important. Remember? Anathema upon those who add to it. Anathema. Cursed. It's critical. And here's the gospel. Saved by faith. Why are you adding the law? So the first half of Galatians, he's just hammering home. It's faith. It's faith. It's faith. It's faith. As opposed to the law. Don't change that message. Faith is a critical piece of Galatians. But there's more to Galatians. In fact, in the second half of Galatians, even the last two-thirds, we're kind of moving away from that argument of just, it's not the law, it's faith. What did we see in chapters 3 and 4? Do you remember that one study? When we were wrapping up chapter 4, we really were looking back at 3 and 4. If we could put up that slide, Matt. This was the outline from when we read chapter 4. That Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham. That the reason we saw word usage of Abraham and promise used so much in chapter 3 and chapter 4 is what Paul has done and said, look, it's not about the law. You never are going to receive the promise of Abraham through the law. It is faith, not the law. But by faith, this is how you tie in to that great promise of Abraham that was given to Abraham. In fact, what he says is, look, the sons of Abraham are sons by faith in Jesus. That is redefining the understanding of what it meant to be a son of Abraham. Remember, Jesus started this too. There were literal sons of Abraham talking to Jesus in John chapter 8. And Jesus said, you're not sons of Abraham. They're like, what do you mean? Right? We are sons of Abraham. We can follow our, our heritage all the way back. Nope. In fact, who you are, sons of the liar, sons of Satan, sons of the ruler of this age. Ooh, that's quite different than what they were thinking. And Paul just comes out and says it in Galatians 3, 7. Sons of Abraham are sons by faith in Christ. And he keeps moving through it in 3.14. I love this piece. That all the nations are blessed by the promised Holy Spirit received by faith in Jesus. And if you remember when we first looked at that, what we said is, whoa. Okay, this is our first introduction to the hero of Galatians. The Spirit. And Paul doesn't just say the Spirit. He says the promised Spirit in Galatians 3.14. And the promise that he is talking about in Galatians 3 is the promise to Abraham. Eight times Abraham's name comes up in chapter 3. That the seed is Jesus. Whoops. I was jumping back and forth on you, Matt. Good job. The seed is Jesus. I think that's chapter 3, verse 16. And then finally, the promised land 
is the heavenly Jerusalem. That that's what we read in chapter 4, verses 25 and 26. Uh, I know, again, we can move on quickly from this, because I know not everybody agrees, nor do we even have to. But I don't see how Paul could say it more clearly. He kind of distances himself from earthly Jerusalem, calls it, says it belongs to Hagar, not part of the promise. Heavenly Jerusalem belongs to Sarah. So the promised land is the heavenly Jerusalem. So chapters 3 and 4, Paul spends a lot of time here. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham. If we could go back to that word usage page, Matt. So that's why we see so much of Abraham and promise in chapters 3 and 4. It's all over the place. When we think chapters 5 and 6, when we think the end, kind of where does Paul land? And normally what we see in Paul's letters is he's kind of giving truth, 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 addressing confusion. Where are people buying lies? Here's the truth. By the time he gets to the end of his letters, it is application time. What to do? Paul is trying to move the churches in Galatia. That he's writing to them and they've started running down a wrong path. And he's confronting the lies. He's confronting the confusion. He's laying out for them the the truth. And the truth that he's landed on is, remember, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God has come into your lives. You've seen it. Don't Leave him. (laughs) Stay with the Spirit. If I could sum up the last two chapters of Galatians, it's walk in the Spirit. And that's interesting to me. In fact, we could even say walk in the promised Spirit. Except when I think promised Spirit... I often think like, well, where's the spirit promised in the Old Testament? Well, Jeremiah is a famous one. Ezekiel is a famous passage in there. We, we talked about that when we mentioned promised spirit. But actually what Paul's saying is walk in the Abrahamic promise. So I kind of came up with these words. You can go ahead and put walk in the Abrahamic promised spirit. I'm not even sure if that's proper English. But if it isn't, I like to use the excuse, I became an engineer for a reason. I was okay at math, but I was really bad at English. So I feel like I can write anything and be excused here. Like I get an excuse. But the, what I really want you to see is, okay, this is, we're called in Galatians to walk in the Spirit. That is ultimately where Paul is trying to move everybody that he's writing to the churches in Galatia and he knows they've decided to start chasing after circumcision in the law and he knows about the false teachers and what he's saying is move out of there and even as you think of the great Jewish heritage that you have know this that you're tied to the promise of Abraham through Jesus by faith now Walk in the promised spirit. So I'm going to read now 
Um, Galatians 5, verses 25 through 18, and see what we can add on to this. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, and by spiritual think led by the Spirit, not kind of that connotation we have sometimes of spiritual, like we just think of, you know, we get broader with that term. Paul's saying, those of you who are spiritual, those of you who are led by his spirit. That's clearly where Paul's going. Restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who, are, who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. It really pegs their motive there. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, Peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. So I wanted to start in... Galatians 5, verse 25, because that's where Paul's transitioning out of 5 right into 6, and what he just says clearly there is, walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. And that to me is the line 
that I want to take with me now when I think back on Galatians. And by the way, can I just say, it is a pleasure teaching you over... Hmm, I forgot I was supposed to hear this too. <laughs> teaching you over these past six years. It's been a pleasure to be uh, friends, just to get to know you, to have fun, uh, to have community. But it's been a pleasure too because we always get into the Word. And I always learn new things. And at the end of this study, I want to tell you what I know that I didn't know when we started is just how the Spirit of God is mentioned everywhere in Galatians. That when I say, hey, when, we th when you think Galatians, think the Spirit. He is the hero of Galatians. And our call to walk with Him, to walk in the Spirit. That this is something, maybe a new emphasis for you. But it's because it's become a new emphasis for me. And that's just the privilege of being up here for the past six years. It's probably as good a time as any to tell you. Um, I'm going to be teaching the next two weeks in December, the 14th and the 21st. But after that, I will be transitioning out. Uh, I will be moving over to the east side of town more permanently. I plan on having a Bible study over there, not on Friday mornings. <laughs> but we will have a Bible study over there, too. It's not like I want to be done with Bible studies. But it probably is at the point where I'll be transitioning out of here as I just kind of gradually transition more and more to east side church instead of Williamsburg Community Chapel, from where I'm being sent. <laughs> um, no, good question. No. Well, you're teasing me. Friday morning breakfast will be right here. Uh, and exactly how it's continuing, I don't know, nor is it really my responsibility. I'm, I'm glad I don't have to know, because I don't know. Um, I don't know exactly how the teaching is being played out or any, any of that. Uh, what I just have talked to them about is I'm transitioning now. So um, I, I do really want to say, even as I continue into Galatians, in the last 10 minutes here, uh, it, thank you. As usual, I've learned a ton. So thank you. So, walk in the promised spirit. Okay. How do we know we're doing that? Right? Because Paul has made it clear. The message I have for you, it is critical. And this is the landing place. Like, it's don't walk in the flesh, walk in the spirit. How are we supposed to know we are? Or do we just hope? Is it just something we say? Like, yes, I believe, so then we're walking in the spirit. I don't think so. I think it's much more obvious. It, it's more easily examined because Paul actually gives a list of what it looks like and what it doesn't look like and if maybe we could sum it up in the one phrase I'd say it's the it's that first long paragraph in Galatians 6 that verse 2 says bear each other's burdens remember when we were talking last week about chapter 5 we said just love <laughs> just love we eagerly await, we're waiting Christ's return in the Spirit, so we're called to love. When Paul says in chapter 6, bear each other's burdens, 
that is loving. You know, one of the first things or first questions I tried to answer when I recommitted my life to Christ when I was 22, right around there, was I really wanted to know what the Bible had to say about love. Because love was a confusing term in my head. And if I watch it on TV, I still always kind of want to turn the TV off or throw something at the TV when I hear people talking about what love is and, and reasons for divorce, like I fell out of love. I don't even know what that means. It's definitely not the biblical understanding of love. Out there, what I'd been hearing, it's, love is more like a feeling. It was a feeling, and a good feeling. And so, of course, you've fallen out of love. You don't feel good? Like, welcome to the world, you know, like, we're going to have moments when we don't feel good. But that's not what love is. That this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for each other. That love is a decision. Right? Love's an action. Love's something we do. That we bear each other's burdens. And you don't have to feel good while you're doing that. You know, today I, I brought a, a cup of coffee to my wife. And I remember, you know, I'm getting it ready, and I hope this is an act of love. This is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, hey, she, she wants me to do this. Very white, very small act, right? Just day-to-day thing. It is a loving act, even if we're in disagreement over something. In fact, it's the same loving act, whether I'm feeling like just, you know, these great vibes are going on between Karen and I, that everything's just coming up roses. Or if there's been a disagreement or a, a breakdown somehow. Maybe, maybe she said something nice about the Yankees, and all of a sudden I'm not feeling it. She's <laughs> not feeling it with her, you know. That you still choose love, right? You still choose to bring the cup of coffee. That this bear each other's burdens. If we want to see if we're walking in the Spirit, we can just look. Are we bearing each other's burdens? Interesting to me that Paul highlights a specific group with whom we bear burdens. And it's us. <laughs> Those in the house of faith is what he says in verse 10. That's interesting. Because I feel like sometimes we're always tempted just to love the stranger. Almost like that's a little easier. Still good. But what Paul highlights is especially those in the house of faith among ourselves. That we can actually examine our lives and choose to walk in the Spirit. That also what it looks like is, even as I was reading out loud, it's a powerful verse. Verse 14, if we're going to test ourselves to see if we're walking in the Spirit, one thing we'll see is that we're bearing each other's burdens. The other thing we'll see is that we're dying to the world. That Paul says, the world has become crucified to me. That is a powerful statement. Die to the world. What does that look like? Paul's saying, I no longer grab after the things that I used to grab after. He was just a power-seeking Pharisee when he started. 
all of that's done, all the comforts that I might have been grabbing after, I no longer grab after. I've died to that world. I have one mission. It's Christ's mission. Go and make disciples. And that's what I'm zeroed in on. I walk in the Spirit. I bear other people's burdens, even when I don't feel like it. Not because they're justified or that somehow they've earned it. That's almost irrelevant for Paul. No, no, just as, just as the Spirit leads me. I'm bearing burdens, and I'm being crucified to the world. He's got nothing. Right? Jesus, before he was crucified, was dead to the world. People said, I'm going to come follow you. And he said things like, hey, I don't even have a pillow to rest my head on at night. You sure you want to follow me? Because I'm not connected with this world. And we live in America. Are we ever done asking ourselves, are we clinging to the world too much? I mean, am I ever really going to be at a place where I can say I'm safe, I'm free of materialism? <laughs> I, I've always grown up around money. If this is a question we don't ask ourselves once, it keeps coming. Have I died to the world? And I don't even know what that looks like for you. I'm not saying that means, hey, nobody's driving a car newer than five years old. <laughs> There's no lines like that. And that's just one way we die to the world, right? We die to materialism. But we also die to the need to be recognized, to be seen. And what we're saying is wherever he leads, that's where I'm going. And I can't say that if I haven't been crucified to the world, that I haven't been crucified to the world and the world is crucified to me, that we can look at our lives and test ourselves to see, are we anxious grabbing after things that Jesus just wasn't anxious about? I love the story <laughs> where um, the man comes up to Jesus and says, Lord, can you tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. And do you remember what Jesus says to that man? Who made me arbiter over this? That's such an interesting statement. Who made you judge over this, Jesus? You're judge over everything. You have all authority in heaven and on earth. And he says, who made me arbiter over this? You know what I, I see being said in that statement? Jesus is just saying, like, you think I care about this stuff? <laughs> If you have enough money, you think that's what I'm about, making sure your brother shares your inheritance with you? Paul said, look, why are you guys suing each other over stuff? What do you think they were suing each other over? Money. Paul said, isn't it better just to be wronged? What? That's crucified to the world. And we will all experience that. We will all be given that opportunity. I mean, a handful of times people have, Come up to me with that. Very, I've seen that happen in my own family. Arguments over inheritance. That's not just in the Bible. <laughs> we crucify ourselves. We've been crucified. We're connected with Christ, and he was always dead to this world. We're building his kingdom. What will result if we do this? I think we catch it in the last three verses. One, 
Paul says, and by the way, this is an interesting way to land his letter. None of you should give me any more difficulty or trouble. Why? Because I bear on my body the marks of Christ. That there actually are consequences of walking in the Spirit. And for one, it's scars. <laughs> scars. And Paul literally had them. That as we walk in the Spirit, we will be confronted by those who are walking in the flesh. It's not like we're judging them. We're familiar with what it's like to walk in the flesh, right? We remember, and we're only a moment away from it, right, if we give in. But we're called to walk in the Spirit, and if we do, there'll be scars. Jesus had scars. Paul had scars. Just recently, I gave a lesson on the man who was born blind, who received his sight from Christ. Do you remember what happened to him almost immediately? First, he starts telling everybody. And then what do they do? They kick him out of the temple. He's out of the synagogue. Immediately scarred. But there's one other promise Paul gives us too. It's a blessing at the end of Galatians. Peace and mercy and grace. This is our end. That we will experience scars as we walk in the Spirit, testing ourselves to see, are we really bearing each other's burdens and dying to the world? That as a result, we'll encounter difficulties. We'll get scarred. We'll be feeling like we've been kicked out of certain communities. But right on the heels of that will be His peace and mercy and grace, which I want to say is often just like love. That it's really not always something you feel, but something you choose. That peace and mercy and grace, it's like we're getting hit by all these tough consequences, all these tough circumstances, and then we have to decide, choose, what do we believe? That is our good Savior still with us and are we still with him? That is Jesus Christ really still risen from the dead and sitting on the throne and promising me eternal life and life, the full life even now? That what happened to that blind man after he was kicked out of the synagogue? is that Jesus came to him and he worshipped Christ. That in the midst of all these scars, there is a grace and a peace and a mercy that's always available to us in Christ. Not that we always feel that. To me, sometimes the picture is a, is a little bit more like Jesus after he stood up and got out of the garden of Gethsemane. Remember, all torn up in the garden. Lands with your will be done. Gets up and starts continuing to walk in the spirit. And what do we see him doing? There's just this peace. People slapping him in the face. And instead of like flipping out, he asks them, why did you slap me? If I said something wrong, testify to what's wrong. If not, why did you slap me? 
that when Pilate's coming down on him saying, I have power to crucify you, he, he doesn't even speak. He's just trusting the Father. And when he does speak, it's almost like he's trying to help Pilate find the truth. No panic. And then he's on the cross. And what does he say on the cross? He sees his disciple who he loves, John, and his mother. And sees, look, they might be alone. And so he says, look, okay, son, here's your mother, mother, here's your son. What? He just chooses peace. That's a loving act that he's on the cross dying and he's looking out to see who he can bless. Amazing. We choose love. We believe and move into this peace that he has for us. But I'm telling you, the pictures in Scripture, they're just a little different than the images we have in our mind of what love is and what peace is and that it's always just this feeling. It's more powerful than that. There's a truth that we move in. Like this is what Paul's trying to turn us to in Galatians. Walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. We'll experience the scars, but we will also live in his peace and grace and mercy. Amen. Have a wonderful week.